0: at LoveIsrael.org. That's one word, LoveIsrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson.
1: The Holy Spirit is always faithful to function in a way that relates to the will of God the Father. That means this, that the Holy Spirit is going to work in the life of every believer. In order to equip that believer to serve God to carry out the purposes the will of God the Father and that might mean that God calls you to be a teacher and if that's the case you are going to know about this calling because you will have a great deal of respect for the Word of God you will affirm that the Word of God, that Scripture, is perfectly inspired by God. It does not have any errors, and therefore it is perfectly reliable in order to equip all people in order to walk in truth. So, teachers, they're going to be individuals that believe strongly in the authority and the perfection of the Word of God. Well, take out your Bible and look with me to the book of James, also known as Yaakov, the book of James in chapter 3. Now, in this third chapter, he is going to begin with a warning, a warning to those who think of themselves as teachers. And I want us to begin with this warning because... It sets the the context for understanding what he's going to talk about in the rest of this chapter. So the book of James, chapter three and verse one. He says, not many, and the implication is, not many of you that you should be teachers. So this role is not for everyone and not for a large number Of individuals, he says, My brothers, this means brothers and sisters, all believers, he says, My brothers, knowing that greater judgment that we will receive. So Yaakov is speaking here, and he says, and he's a teacher, and he says, Within the local congregation, there ought not be just anyone teaching the word of God. Because when you begin to share, realize that that comes with this responsibility is a truth, and that is God will judge you more severely. Why? Because you are speaking. You are sharing with others, and therefore there's an accountability for what you share and how it is carried out in the life of other people. So you're going to want to be an individual that is tied closely to the Word of God and only sharing that which is scripturally sound because if you share something that is not according to the will of God, not according to what the Scripture says, and someone hears that and acts in disobedience to God, but based upon your instructions, your teaching, then that is going to also have an adverse outcome for you. So he begins, as I say, with a very significant warning. Verse 2. Now, he begins by speaking about teachers, and all of this has a great deal of relevancy for one who teaches the Word of God, but it is also obviously relevant pertinent for all believers he says in verse 2 for many many and he's talking about in many ways we all stumble and that's true in many different ways believers we stumble we fail god and then he says if there's a certain one in word that does not stumble, then the implication is this one, he says, is a perfect man and he's able to restrain and it uses a word for restraint. And we'll see this as we continue to read. We all know how that we put a bit into an animal's mouth in order to control them. And he's beginning to lay the foundation He mentions here in a moment the mouth, and he's going to tell us that if one can control his mouth, what he or she says, it is going to be an evidence of someone who is an individual that is spiritually mature, that knows how to control not just his words, but all of his actions. So look again. He says... For many, in meaning in many ways we all stumble, if a certain one in word does not stumble, this one is a perfect man able to be restrained, other to restrain also his whole body. Now he goes in verse 3 and he gives the example of what he's talking about. He says, we cast, meaning we place, Uh, Behold, he says, in in horses, we we strain them in the mouth, putting these these bits, these these instruments, in order that we can do something, that we are able to bring them to obedience. And he says, obedience unto us, and that their whole body is, is brought with, meaning this. As you control the mouth of an animal, restrain it. You're able to lead, guide, not just the mouth, but the entire animal with that. And he's laying the foundation for teaching us, if an individual, if we can control our speech, what comes out of our mouth, that is a sign that that one is able to bring all of his body, all of the members of his body under submissiveness to the purposes of God, the will of God, the truth of God. So he says once more, let's read the verse three. Behold we place uh, and the implication is a bit in order to restrain horses, and we place it in the mouth in order to bring them to obedience unto us. And in doing so, he says, and all of their bodies, we are able to lead, to to bring with their, their mouth the entire body. Verse four. Now he's going to give another example. He says, behold also ships. And these ships are very large, large vessels, he says, being very great, meaning very large in size. And by a strong wind, they are driven. And they are brought using that same word for bringing an animal to where you want that animal to go. It says, in a likewise, you're able to bring this vast ship where you want it to be. How? by very small rudder so in this same way that the rudder controls the direction of the ship he's saying the mouth controls the direction where that that horse goes and then the implication for us is this as one speaks his words reveal a great deal about his spiritual condition. You listen to someone, and the words will give away where they are spiritually, whether they are a prideful individual, a humble individual, one that is loving, compassionate, one that speaks frequently in just common dialogue with others concerning the Word of God that you can tell whether their mind is always thinking, always being led by scriptural revelation, or if it's under a different source of of inspiration or influence. So once again, he says, these vast ships, they can be brought to where one wants them to go by a very small instrument, a rudder, wherever, and now it says wherever, the one who's steering, his inclination is to, that he desires to bring it. So an individual steering a ship through this small, very small rudder, wherever his inclination, his desire is, he's able to purpose that. He's able to manifest that desire out through the use of a very small instrument, this rudder of a ship. Verse 5. Thus, and now he's getting to the heart of the matter for us. Thus also, the tongue, a small part, it is a small part of the body, but it also, he says here, that it speaks uh, boastful things. It speaks loudly, in other words. And because of that, we know something. It says, Behold, it may be a little file fire, but it's able to ignite a very large, large force. Also, the tongue is fire in this world of unrighteousness. So what's he saying? In the same way that a little bit of fire is able to ignite, burn down, an entire force, a large force. In that same way in this world, a world of of unrighteousness. The tongue is able to accomplish a great deal, and here's the key, when that tongue is not under the submissiveness of the word of God, that tongue is able to bring about a great outcome, not a good outcome, but a large outcome in this world because this world is unrighteous and it responds to what the tongue says, meaning falsehood. If you, and here's the key, if you belong to this world and not the kingdom of God, and you listen to this world, how the world thinks, what the world desires, how the world behaves, then speech, what someone can say, can lead you also into great destruction. That's what he's saying here. So look again, verse 6. And the tongue is fire in this world of unrighteousness, for thus the tongue is set in the midst of us. It's there. And he says, that which defiles the whole body. So my speech, your speech, it is able to be used for a glorious reason, to teach the truth of God. But that same tongue, when it's not brought under submissiveness, it can be used by the enemy, we'll see this in a moment, in order to bring about large outcomes in this world of unrighteousness and even though this tongue it's small and it's set in the midst of us it stands in the midst of us he says it defiles all the body and then he says and sets ablaze the course of nature being set ablaze by hell now what does this all mean very simply The tongue, when it is speaking under the influence of this world, what type of world he says, an unrighteous world. It sits in the midst of our body, and therefore it can be be used to ignite. And it being ignited itself is an outcome. It's the normal course of nature when that is in relationship, when nature is in relationship to hell instead of the kingdom of God. So what he's warning us is this. Our tongue is going to reflect whether we are connected to hell. If so, it's going to be a natural course that set things ablaze, which is what? Going to bring about destruction. That's what the enemy does. That's what Satan is about, destroying things, tearing things down, bringing adversity into this world. But the kingdom of God is a kingdom of righteousness, and it is that which builds up. It has, the kingdom of God has an edifying influence on an individual. What does that mean? when we are thinking about the kingdom of god when we are committed to the kingdom of god and we're living according to kingdom principles it is going to build ourselves up it is going to strengthen us and we will have a godly influence a kingdom influence upon other people so the tongue is a great source of revelation to where one is spiritually. This is what he's talking about in this passage. Look now to verse 7. For every kind of beast, and also of bird, of creeping thing, and also those things within the sea. It says they are subdued also, having been subdued by the human race. So we see, and what he's talking about here is the authority of of humanity. God, in a unique way, has chosen man to be his instrument in this world. And every individual, male and female, every individual is either going to be under the influence of the kingdom of God, or under the influence of, as he said in the previous verse, hell. And if you are under the influence of hell, your speech is going to reveal that, and your speech is going to be used by the enemy to bring about destruction in this world, tearing things down, not building things up, not having an edifying influence so ministry builds people up it strengthens them it establishes them and it puts them in a situation whereby they become more useful to the purposes the things of God but the enemy he tears people down he makes them useless in regard to the good things and he is going to make that one a source of adversity for other individuals. This is what he's saying here. So animals, they have been brought under the authority of humanity, verse verse eight. But the tongue, no one is able, no man is able to subdue it, meaning, In and of yourself, left to yourself, your own ability, you can't control your speech. To the extent we have expression, a slip of the tongue. I I, I really shouldn't have said that. Or we try to cover up, I didn't want to say that. Well, probably you did. You were just unhappy about the fact that people didn't like it or their response to it, but it reveals who you are. And therefore, it says here, no one in and of himself, without the ministry of the Holy Spirit, no one is able to control their, their tongue. And what does, what does the scripture say concerning this tongue? It is, and it uses a word here, which speaks about, many Bibles will say, unruly. It's a word of disorder, a, a word that, that speaks about things being out of order, and therefore when things are out of order, you can't assemble something. You cannot build, there has to be order in order for there to be production. So the tongue, and Satan knows this, he brings about his will, his purposes, through the tongue, because the tongue brings about disorder, it's unruly, and notice this next word, It is a disorder or an unruliness of of evil, full of deadly poison. Now, we're supposed to bless God. We're supposed to speak encouragement. We're supposed to speak the things at times, even conviction, but for the purpose of bringing repentance, turning that person to the right thing. Always concerned with building up according to the kingdom of God, edifying according to a kingdom purpose. But what it says here is this, a tongue left to oneself. It is unmanageable, unruly. It is going to be of disorder and the thing that's going to be manifested, as it says here, is evilness because it is full of deadly poison. Verse nine, with it, Now it's talking about humanity. With it, we bless God. Some Bibles will say the Lord, but the best Greek manuscripts have the term God and not the Lord here. But with it, we bless God and Father, meaning Father God. And with it, we curse human beings, the ones according to the image of God having been made. So we bless God, but that same tongue is used a moment later to curse an individual, forgetting that that individual is made in the likeness of God. Verse 10 For from uh, his, his mouth comes forth blessing and curse. Now, this he says, in the next verse, we'll come to it. This is not the way that one should behave, saying good things and then saying bad things. Cursing someone, tearing them down, saying things that that humiliate people, embarrass them, this is not proper speech. In fact, in Judaism, we have an expression for that. It's called lashon hara, evil speech, but literally can be understand as an evil tongue, a tongue that is not submissive to The the instruction and the revelation of God. So in speaking about this, now look, if you would, to to verse 10. He says, and from this, this, this tongue, his tongue, comes forth blessing and cursing. And he says, let me read it literally. Not ought my brothers this, and it means these things, thus should be. So this is not the way that a true believer behaves. One moment he's blessing God, praising God, worshiping God, and then a few minutes later he's, he's saying things that are, are discouraging, things that tear down, things that are insulting, things that, that don't bless someone but, but curses them. This This dichotomy should not be part of a true believer and the context is that it is disastrous always but even more so when the one who is behaving this way who can't control his tongue is a teacher of the word of god verse 11 now he's going to give another example and he's going to be talking about a a spring a well of water And he writes here, look at verse 11. He says, Not, and this means as well, it shouldn't be. It should not be that a spring from the same opening, the same source, we might say, burst forth fresh water and bitter water. Now, we know that can't be the case. The spring, that source of that spring, is either going to be one that has fresh water, living water, that is good, that's satisfied, that's drinkable, that has a positive influence. Or, if it doesn't, it's going to either be the opposite, which is bitter water that is not going to be drinkable, that's not going to be edifying, that's not going to build up. It's not going to be a source of life, sustaining life, but it's going to be bitterness that can bring about death. So he says, this should not be that from the same opening of the spring, burst forth fresh water and bitter water, verse 12. He says, and it's very choppy, but he says, this is not possible, my brethren. Now, what's he talking about here? He's going to go to another example of something that is equally impossible to be. He says, a fig, and this means a fig tree, does not produce olives, nor does a vineyard figs. So he says, in this same way that, that a spring can't give both fresh water and bitter water, and likewise a fig tree can't give you olive, olives, and nor can a vineyard give you figs. These things are impossible. A fig tree gives figs, an olive tree gives olives, and a vineyard gives grapes. It's consistent with its its type, what it is, its identity. And that's what he's saying about us. That it ought not be that a child of the kingdom speak things that are related to, not the kingdom, but hell. This is not how it should be. In fact, he says, It can't be thus. It's not something that is possible on an ongoing basis. Now, we all stumble. He says that. If a man never stumbles in speech, he's a perfect one, able to control his whole body. But if we're consistently speaking one thing one day and another thing the next day consistently, this is manifesting that that person is not not a believer or at least not walking in obedience to God to any measurable way. He says, look again at verse, verse 12, Not possible, my brethren, that a fig tree produces olives, nor a vineyard figs. Thus, and then the Texas Receptus has a word that simply means not able, won't happen can't be, it emphasizes, that a a spring of, of salt water. So there's springs of fresh water, and there's springs of salt water. And he's saying, thus, it is not possible that a salt spring also will give fresh water. Not going to happen. And in that same way, he's saying, by one's speech, and here again, not looking at an occasional statement that someone makes by mistake. He's angry, she's unhappy, she's, and burst something out. We all fail at times. But he's speaking about something here that, that truly characterizes an individual. That there's this dichotomy, one moment, good things, one moment, bad things, insulting. Manifesting pride and such, this not to be. No, those who belong to God, their speech, and we're going to see this in a moment, their speech is going to manifest something. And what is that? Well, now let's move to verse 13. Now, in one sense, this entire chapter speaks about the same thing. And that is revealing one's spiritual Identity, whether he belongs to God, whether she belongs to God or not, by examining one's speech. And what he said, and he's given numerous examples, and that is there cannot be consistently this, this dichotomy, this, these two things coming together, blessing and curse, fresh water and bitter water salt water, and pure water. These things don't go together. And what is going to be the the real instrument that brings about a change so that one can speak the things of God, teach the truth of God? Well, notice what he says in verse 13. He writes, if there's a certain one among you that is wise, and is understanding. So right here, we see two very important words, wisdom, one who is wise, and one who has understanding. Now, the only way that you can get the wisdom and the understanding that, that Yaakov, James, is speaking about here is when we rely upon godly revelation. It is God, and we'll see this in a moment, It is God who gives wisdom. It is an outcome of understanding the word of God that we're going to have knowledge. So notice how this second part that's clearly related to the first, how Yaakov develops it here again under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Look again at verse 13. Who is wise and also has understanding among you Whoever that is, he says, let this one, from his good behavior, the good works of his, his good works, and the implication is, which are done, it simply says, in the humility of wisdom. Now, this is a critical verse. What he says is this. If there's someone here that that is wise and has understanding, these are two characteristic for, for one teaching. They need to be wise in the things of God and have a proper understanding of God's revelation, the purposes of God, the will of God, the objectives of God. So he says here, you know, if there's a certain one among you who is wise and has understanding, let this one manifest it you have wisdom, you have understanding, then show it, manifest it from good behavior. And that good behavior is going to have good works. His good works and the implication is which are done, which are an outcome of humility of wisdom. Now why I say this is so important is one who is wise is going to manifest humility. Wisdom and humility go together. Now, sometimes knowledge, especially when it's a secular knowledge, and knowledge of this world, that knowledge will produce pride. But a godly wisdom is going to produce humility in an individual. And even though this one has a good behavior, he is rich, she is rich in good deeds, abundant good deeds, this one still, that wisdom is going to manifest itself in humility, verse 14. But if, here again, in contrast to that one who has good conduct, good deeds, it says in contrast to this, if one is is having bitter jealousy. So if one has bitter jealousy and is, and this word is a word for self-serving. Now, a child of God, a disciple of Messiah Yeshua, is not about serving self. And this word is related to this this concept of an ego. Ego is a, a selfishness. Thinking about one's own desires, objectives, purposes. Looking at others, not how to be a blessing, not how to edify them, not how to turn them to God, but how to manipulate and use them for what I want. So he says, if there's someone who has bitter jealousy and a a self-serving attitude in, in your heart, so if there's someone who has that in your heart, it says, this is not something that that you should boast about. Why? He says, because you are lying against the truth. Now, here again, this has big implications to it. Because when I am jealous, bitter jealousy, when I am self-seeking, self-serving, all those things... All those things are not what we should, and this word for boasting can mean to rejoice over. So we ought not rejoice over such things. We don't boast about them because he says, this is is false and it's against the truth. So such characteristics are false and they are against the truth, and they are not something that we should we should uh, boast about or rejoice over verse fifteen. It is not this same same thing that he 's talking about wisdom. this is not the wisdom from above which comes down now this supports what I mentioned earlier we 're not talking about a book knowledge that comes from having a, a doctorate degree, getting all this worldly occasion. Now, there's nothing wrong with worldly education, learning things and such, but realize that is not the foundation for walking with God. So he says the wisdom that he's speaking of is not the wisdom that one can acquire in a university from from observing things in this world, but rather the wisdom that he's speaking about, and he makes it very clear. He says the wisdom that he is speaking about is from above, it comes down, meaning comes down from heaven, and and that's the wisdom that that we should, should be living based upon, striving to display in our life. But the one that is self exalting the one who is is full of bitter jealousy, it is one that is worldly, earthly, he says, and then sensual, meaning this: it is a a wisdom that that is governed by feelings, how one feels, how one thinks. Those things that that are of this world, the natural. So it deals with the senses. When I say sensual, it's of the senses. It's related to the flesh, the various senses that we have. Smelling, taste, seeing, hearing, touch, all of these things. It's a wisdom that speaks to the body, to those things that are related to the carnal nature, and not the spiritual nature. So he writes, but the wisdom that is from above, it comes down. It's not that which is of this earth, of sensual things, of the senses, nor is it demonic. The wisdom of this world, realize, very big word at the end of of this verse, verse 15, demonic. Now, here's what he's saying. When a person believes that that wisdom speaks, is governed by how I feel, what I can hold in my hand, what I see, what I hear, all of these have an earthly origin of this world. When the wisdom that we operate under is of this world, hear this, it is going to be demonic, meaning this. When you rely upon things, your own mind, what you see with your eyes, what you hear with your ears, how it seems to you, apart from the revelation of God, what you are doing is opening yourself up for demonic influence. Vital. So important that we see this. It is only when we are governed by a heavenly wisdom, that does not originate here but comes down from heaven, then, then are we going to be individuals that see things properly and can respond to those things in this world in a godly fashion, bringing everything into obedience to the will of God. But when we don't, when we are governed by our senses, what we feel, what we smell, what we think, He says, in this case, it's going to open us up to demonic influence. Verse 16, for where, and the implication is, wherever there is jealousy and this this self-seeking, whenever, and the jealousy here means this, someone has something, it's a good thing, and instead of you saying, good for them, I'm happy for them. It makes you jealous and you want to take it away. You are displeased. You become angry that someone has it and you don't. And you set your your mind, your objectives to get it for yourself. And all of that is jealousy. And what he says, keep reading. For where there is jealousy and that, that self-serving Serving objective. He says there's also going to be, and here's the second time he uses this word, this thing that is unruly, meaning no self-control, no order. The order of God is absence. There's going to be something that is out of control, and the word that should come into our mind is a, a chaos, meaning something that is out of control, helter-skelter. No order to it. No purpose behind it. And what's the outcome when something has no proper pur- purpose, no order, out of control? What's the outcome? Destruction. And that's what Satan rejoices over. When we receive and we're deceived by the enemy and we receive destruction instead of the eternal promises of God. So it's only when we have a wisdom, a wisdom that comes down from heaven, from God, a wisdom that provides us with an understanding based upon the truth of God, only then when we're not out for ourselves, but we're wanting to be a blessing, loving our neighbor as ourselves, then and only then are we going to be someone that rightly possesses this type of wisdom. Look again at verse 16, he says, where there is jealousy and and self-serving, there is going to be this unruly, this destruction, this disorder, and all, and it means every aspect of evil. And then some Bible says, and every evil thing, but I would do a good word study of this last verse or last word in verse 16 why because the word is pragma now you probably know the word pragmatic it's that which is logical that which is a natural outgrowth of it is pragmatic meaning one plus one equals two that's pragmatic and what it's saying is this when we behave in a way that that is governed by jealousy that's ruled by our own selfish interests. Our life is going to have disorder and every type of evil. And here's the key. That last word means it is going to produce naturally. There's going to be an outgrowth, a result from evil in our life. And what is that natural outcome of evil? You know what it is? Judgment. It is going to be encountering the judgment, the punishment of God. But he says, in contrast to that, look at verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above. Now, this word from above, when it talks about being born again or born from above, the word here is anothen. And it's the same word for this concept being born again, born from above. He writes, the wisdom that is a born-again wisdom, a wisdom from above, first and foremost, notice, it is pure. Now, we need to understand two words. We talked about that which corrupts, that which uh, defiles a few minutes ago when we were looking at uh, verse verse 4. So... Things can have a, a degree of defilement or degree of purity. Those things which are defiled, they they keep God away from us, His influence, His good influence, and His blessings. And defilement basically becomes like a bullseye for God's displeasure, His judgment, and His punishment. But purity is an invitation. An invitation to God to come, to be part of, to join, to bless, to release his love and his provision into our life. So wisdom does just that. And that's why he says, for the wisdom up above, first, it is pure. It's going to bring God into it. Next, he says, then it is peaceable. This wisdom is going to bring things into peace, and peace is always related to the will of God. It's going to be peaceable, not showing its own self, not demanding, but rather it's going to be gentle, he says, and and it's going to recognize the next word in the Greek text is a word for obedience, and it has a prefix to it which is the word good. So it's going to recognize obedience as good. Now, I share that because it's so, so significant that one of the things that I get criticized about is that you speak, people say, too much about obedience. You need to talk more about God's grace, they say. Well, what they don't understand is that the grace of God brings a person into obedience to the things of God, the will of God, the commandments of God. Grace and obedience are not, not in conflict with one another. Grace produces obedience. So he says here that the grace or the, the wisdom from above first is pure, then it is peaceable, it is gentle, and it recognizes as good obedience and it's full full of mercy and good fruits probably the good fruits of the spirit of god it is also impartial doesn't have favorites it wants to be a blessing it treats everyone the same it's impartial and it is also sincere meaning that there's there's no hidden agenda that the wisdom wants to be a righteous influence on others, wanting nothing back, wanting to rejoice in good things, godly things, blessings happening to other people. Verse 18, and as a continuation of this, it says, the fruit of righteousness. Now, notice this. What he's just done is to teach us that, that, that wisdom Will, will manifest itself in righteousness. This good fruit that he spoke about, one of its characteristics, one of the things that we see in this good fruit is righteousness. So he writes, the fruit of righteousness in peace is sown. And that's what we want. We want the fruit of the will of God to be manifested. And he says here, the fruit of righteousness and peace, according to the will of God, is sown by those who do what? Who do or make peace. So, blessed are the peacemakers. The last thing I want to say is this. Too many people don't understand peace. True peace is bringing people and situations under the authority of God so that the will of God is accomplished and that will of God is going to manifest itself in righteousness. So the workers, those who are peacemakers, blessed are the peacemakers because they, they are acting, behaving in regard to the will of God. They're not simply saying, we don't want any conflict, we want an absence of violence, you believe and do what you want, let that person do and do what he wants. That's not peacemaking. That is going to bring in the community chaos, a disorder. It is going to be an invitation for the enemy to come and bring about more spiritual havoc instead of, that which shows the order of God, the righteousness of God, the will of God, and manifests the glory of God. So ask yourself, are you someone who is a recipient of the wisdom of God? Do you have a biblical understanding? Are you able to control your speech in order that you have a godly testimony? These are the ones that God are looking, that God is looking for in order to use, to share his truth with other people. We all fall short, but the hope is that we're striving, that we're growing, that we're submissive to the Holy Spirit, that he, the Holy Spirit, can bring about godly change in my life and your life so that we can be used for the purposes of God. And that through our ministry, that we can be individuals that influence others by bringing them also submissive to the truth of God. That God's name is glorified, that his name is praise, in order that his glory is manifested through your life and my life. This is what Yaakov James is teaching in this third chapter of his epistle, I'll close with that. Shalom from Israel.
0: Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch